This episode of the Audacity to Podcast is made possible in part by GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, Episode 79, why you need your own privacy policies, disclosures, and releases for blogging or podcasting. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is a how-to podcast about podcasting and using Audacity. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. And today we're continuing our series about podcasting and law with Gordon Firemark. This is a great series, and I hope it's been beneficial to you and informed you of some things that you might not have known were so important before, because previously we've talked about copyrights and trademarks. Today, we're talking about so many different things, but around this idea of basically policies or disclosures and releases, as the longest title in the world for this episode has said. So we've got some awesome stuff coming up about these things. And even if you think you don't need privacy policies, disclosures, or releases, think again. Short answer is you do. And this episode with Gordon Firemark will explain what those things need to say, why you need to have them, and how you need to be using those things, because they are very important, especially if, well, you'll find out more, but especially if you're making money with your podcast in any way even if it's just a few pennies per year with Google AdSense. But before I get into this episode with Gordon Firemark, let me tell you about our sponsor for this episode, GoToMeeting, which now has HD faces. HD is all the rave and it's high definition. And it's great in an online meeting because you can see facial expressions from your clients and colleagues through an online meeting. You don't have to be absolutely right there with them because it's really inconvenient to try and arrange face-to-face meetings in person, and it can be expensive many times, or just downright impossible. That's why GoToMeeting now with HD Faces is wonderful for this, because you can read body language, you can see when someone has something to say in your meeting. It's so much easier than just a phone call. Try it out at gotomeeting.com. I highly recommend GoToMeeting because I use it with great success with my clients. It's really easy to just quickly on the fly or schedule a meeting in advance to host training or webinars or even just if I need someone to show me a problem they're having with a website, I can fire up a quick GoToMeeting. They run it on their side and they don't have to install lots of stuff or have to create an account or anything. They just click my link join the meeting, and they can share their screen or I can share my screen. It works beautifully, easily. I am a paying subscriber to GoToMeeting, and I do recommend that you use it. So you can start hosting your own face-to-face online meetings today with GoToMeeting. My listeners can try it free for 30 days. Don't wait. For this special offer, you must visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. Be sure to use the promo code podcast when you go to gotomeeting.com and click on the try it free button. Thank you, GoToMeeting, for your support. Now, I hope you've been listening to these last couple episodes of the Audacity to Podcast. 
If this is your first episode you're listening to, welcome. Make sure you check out some of the previous episodes as well. And everything is over at theaudacitytopodcast.com, including show notes for this episode will be at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 79. Gordon Firemark is an entertainment lawyer who is very familiar in this podcasting space. He even has a book that you can get at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash podcast law book. And that is an affiliate link that I used for his book. And I do recommend his book. I'm reading through it and it is great. It has so much in there that podcasters and bloggers need to know about the law and about things that we should be doing right on our podcast or blog. And he wrote this book then that really helps all of us in many ways. So I highly recommend get the book, but also check out his site over at gfiremark.com and you can subscribe to his podcasts. And if you want to know more about him, he's got this nice page he set up for us at gfiremark.com slash noodle, N-O-O-D-L-E. So check it all out at gfiremark.com. I'm really thrilled to have Gordon Firemark on with us again as we talk about more stuff with podcasting and blogging and the law. Gordon Firemark, thank you again for joining me for some more discussion about podcasting and law. Glad to be back with you, Daniel. This time, we're going to do a, a hodgepodge of different things about law and podcasting, or a lot of this applies to blogging too. Privacy policies, disclaimers, notices, releases, a bunch of little but important things. Let's do it. It starts out with an email from Tim Arthur. He said, Hello, Daniel. I'm listening to the latest episode of the Audacity to Podcast and am really interested in the topic of privacy policies for podcasters. I do not use a privacy policy at this time, but feel there is a potential need for us as content creators to use one, especially in the case of notifying those leaving comments, voicemails, etc. on the show. Love to assist with this if possible. Keep up the tremendous job. I enjoy all of your shows. Best, Tim Arthur from techmonkspodcast.com. Thanks, Tim, for that email. So do we need privacy policies as podcasters? Well, you know, a privacy policy is a great idea for anybody who's got any kind of a presence on the internet whatsoever. I, you know, I don't think you technically need one if you're just putting up a page that displays or, or you know, puts stuff out. But if you're gathering any information at all about your, your visitors, and most website software does that automatically, you need to... Um, express to those folks what it is you're going to do with that information. Uh, it's most important when that information is personally identifiable. So it's one thing to say, okay, it's coming from uh, a particular browser on a particular kind of a computer and um, maybe it has the IP address. Um, that's probably not really personally identifiable information. As soon as you start getting gathering a person's name or, or email address or, um, or any really demographic data about them at all, and maybe the IP address is identifiable. You know, then it's it's wise to have uh, a policy um, that says, "Here's what we gather, and here's how we use it." And it can be as simple as we gather, you know, user information about your uh, your technol your technology, your equipment, your location, and uh, and you know whatever else you gather. And um, we use this only for in-house analytical purposes or something like that. And there are lots of privacy policies out there, obviously, to use as, as examples or models of this. Uh, if you're running a business, if you're doing commerce on your website, then it's even more important because you're gathering 
usually much more information about the the customers. And so again, you want to be very clear that you're not going to, or maybe you are going to sell that information or use it to sell them other products later on or something like that. So definitely a good idea to have a privacy policy. It can be very simple or it can be complex depending on your situation. So even if all that we do is we receive listener emails or voicemails or have comments on the site, we need a privacy policy. Yeah. In fact, that's a different category of stuff in a sense, because that's not about private. I mean, they're provide voluntarily providing their information in terms of their name, their website, their, their email and their comment. I would say that your privacy policy or your terms of use, which would be technically a separate document in your, on your website, um, ought to specify that information and how it's going to be used. And generally, I think you want to be as broad as possible in that. Let's say you've got a, a great blog and a, and, a, and a podcast and you take people's emails and and online comments and, uh, and voicemail messages and you're going to maybe someday do a book and you want to use that stuff in your book. Your terms of use probably ought to specify that you might do that and that you don't have to anonymize people or that you are going to anonymize people. Again, the, tell them what you're going to do, and then when you do it, they've got no business complaining. I've heard some people on the recept- receiving end of this uh, actually showing some concern like over Stitcher's privacy policy and other yeah. companies that basically say, you're letting us do anything we want to now and in the future with your content, but yeah. that's necessary for us producers, isn't it? Because like you're saying, we might never think of writing a book now, but what if we want to someday? Right. That's actually a really good uh, point is to flip this on the other side and, and remind everybody to read those privacy policies. And especially when a company, you know, big, a big web operation like Facebook or Twitter or someone changes their privacy policy, you definitely want to, you know, check in on what those changes are and, and figure out whether it's going to change how you use those services. And we should think that our listeners are going to, and, and readers are going to do the same with our privacy policies. Now, one of the things, one of the reasons that there's a lot of uproar over these things is that when a new company starts up, like Stitcher or, or I don't know, name another recent web startup, they often use a, a boilerplate isn't quite the right word, but a very broadly worded, generalized uh, um, uh, privacy policy and, and terms of use that covers every possible permutation of anything they might ever do. And gives them, you know, really broad ranging rights. I mean, sometimes even purports to give them ownership over the stuff that you create and, and submit. And that's, that's great lawyering <laughs> from the point of view of, you know, protecting the client. If, if someone comes to me and wants a privacy policy, that's where I start. But I think the smart money is on being a little more careful about defining what you really do plan to do with this stuff. And I, I'm trying to remember who it was just recently came up with a revised privacy policy because they had been um, getting a lot of complaints. Oh, I know it was Pinterest. Pinterest was saying uh, it wasn't privacy, it was terms of service, but they were saying that anything you post, they own. And um, people were posting other people's stuff and lots of issues around that. And so they went back and changed it and said, no, you know what? We never intended to do X, Y, and Z with these things. So we're going to carve those out and leave that to you. And um, there you go. Another one was Dropbox. They, they had uh, a brouhaha over their employees getting access to the content of stuff that you had uploaded. Even though it's encrypted, they know how to decrypt it. So um, 
and you know really the only reason they need to be able to do that is to support it technically um, they're not going to use it for other purposes and so their their policies were too broadly worded and raised a PR nightmare for them so it's important to be cautious and careful and, and thoughtful about what you put up as a privacy policy or as terms of service. So looking at this from podcasting perspective, let's yep. say we have a podcast and a blog. Mm-hmm. We accept comments. We accept emails from listeners, voicemails through a telephone voicemail yep. service. And we include this in the podcast. Um, maybe we might someday sell podcast or sell some of this content. Yeah. Excluding the actual language what are some of the things a privacy policy should cover or questions it should answer? Well, it, it's really the, the who, what, where, when, how, and why that you're going to use this information. So what, gather, what information are you going to gather about me? How are you going to use it? When and where are you going to use it? Where are you not going to use it? So you carve out your limitations. And, uh, and you know, for what purposes, I guess, is, is the thing. Um, so it can be as simple as we don't gather any information about you and we never will. Um, or we, you know, we only gather um, non-identifiable uh, information and we only use it for our internal purposes. Or you can say, hey, we gather any information we can get. If you fill out a form, we take that information, we use it for our own purposes, which may include selling it to you, selling products to you, selling this list to someone else, you know, all those kinds of things. You know, it, it, it can be very, very broad or very narrow depending on your circumstances. And then we got another voicemail in from Zach Wallace, and he had this to say. Hi there, Daniel. Zach Wallace here from Wally'sModcast.com. First of all, I wanted to say thank you for everything you have done helping all of us with our podcast and everything that goes along with it. This is in reference to your question about privacy policies. I wanted to share a little bit about my story. Uh, I did go ahead and try to apply to an affiliate network. I got an email back saying that I could not be accepted because I didn't have a privacy policy in place on my website. In that email, they provided a link to privacypolicyonline.com. I went there and it made it really easy. You just plug in your site title, your URL, and your email address. Boom, it'll make a privacy policy for you. You copy that HTML into your, uh, into a post or into a page on your website. And there you go. You've got it done. I emailed him back saying that I had done that and I was accepted then. So for anybody who's looking to get a privacy policy, this was a really easy way to do it. Um, I know it's just a general kind of outline, but I wanted to share that with you so that your listeners could go ahead and do that also. And then they're not going to get held back later on. A question for you, Daniel, is when you make your privacy policy or when you did, did you go ahead and put it just as a post on your blog or did you make a page just for that or what would you do in that case? Thanks again for everything you do, Daniel. Thanks for the voicemail, Zach. And so he asked two questions here, Mm -hmm. Um, privacypolicyonline.com. And I've also seen freeprivacypolicy.com and there are many other places Mm -hmm. out there like that. Aside from later getting spammed from these sites, are these legitimate tools that make something that is acceptable for our use? Uh, well, first of all, let's not leave aside the the spam issue. You know, everybody should be mindful that when you go to a site that that um, offers you something for free, uh, you are the product, 
and they are gathering information about you for some purpose, and that's probably going to be to try to sell you something else later. So be mindful of that. And it's a perfectly legitimate business model. It just, you know, we need to, we need to think about that when we use free services. Uh, that said, I think these free privacy policy, um, uh, online, you know, things are, are okay. They're essentially taking a, uh, you know, a, a, the equivalent of going to the staples and buying a preprinted form or something like that for a particular kind of a contract you need. It's plain vanilla. It's going to work most of the time for most situations. And I don't know how interactive and how much question and answer there is in creating these privacy policies using these services. But, you know, for a basic website, that's probably going to do the trick. Um, the thing is, you need to be careful and read it. You know, it, these privacy policies do tend to be a lengthy document. It's more than just a couple of paragraphs um, when they're done, you know, sort of in full force, full form. Uh, and so you want to read it and be very sure that it actually is what you intend. You know, it's one thing to have a, a written policy and it's another thing to have a written policy that you comply with. And one of the worst things that you can do is have a, a privacy policy that you then breach on your on your own end because that is essentially a contract with your, your viewer, your reader, your listener, whatever. And so um, what you don't want to do is say, I'm not going to use your information um, – you know, for any kind of commercial purpose. And then a month later, you try to sell them something and they go, wait, you, you took my information with a promise. You weren't going to do that. And uh, whether they have damages or not is another question. But uh, the point being, you've breached your, your, your agreement and your trust with them. So um, read it carefully and be, and be thoughtful, as I said, about these kinds of things. Um, there are sources for this kind of stuff as well that aren't these interactive freeprivacypolicy.com kinds of things. You can find privacy policies on most websites. If you find a website that's similar in its nature to what you do, you can go and pull up their privacy policy. And I don't recommend copying it verbatim, but you can, you know, jot down the notes about what each, you know, bullet point in the or, or each topic is and create your own uh, your own version of a privacy policy based on that. Model it on somebody else's. Or you can go to a law library or maybe even just your local public library and find books and forms on on how to create this kind of stuff. This is, you know, as a lawyer, I do these kinds of things. I People hire me to do their privacy policies, usually because they're getting involved in more complex stuff with e-commerce and, and gathering lots of data and those kinds of things. And so, you know, I write up, uh, privacy policies and and terms of service uh, terms of use documents for them but um sometimes you can do it yourself don't don't be shy about trying and then if you have questions or concerns that's when you pick up the phone and call a lawyer and and uh, hopefully it can be resolved quickly and without too much expense okay and then his other question was about whether it should be a post or a page and from a wordpress perspective this is, should definitely be a page but now extending that question when and where should we be linking to this privacy policy? I think the best practice, and this is just based, based on what I see, is people putting a link in the footer of every page that says, here's our privacy policy. Come look if you're interested. Another thing I want to, and, and I think that's just easy enough to do. So it's not, it, it's not, you know, in your face every time they log in, but it's always there. They just scroll down. Oh, there's the privacy, you know, or, or they search on the page for the word privacy and bang, there it is. So, um, so that's good. I want to mention also, you know, I have a blog post on my blog, firemark.com slash privacy policy that, um, 
that talks about the some of these issues and and I highly recommend anybody you know go check that out so that's firemark.com slash privacy policy all one word and uh, you can get a little more information about that another thing to think about with both privacy policy and terms of use you know these are as I keep saying they're sort of two separate documents but they go together like peanut butter and jelly I guess <laughs> you know um, I guess I'm getting hungry the <laughs> the um, if you change them, and, and most of them say this policy may change uh, without notice to you or or with notice to you. That's one of the issues you want to think about. Are you going to put up a big prominent notice? Hey, we've changed our privacy policy. Or are you going to make it sort of on the, the viewer and customer to, to find out if you've changed your privacy policy? I recommend the former. If you make changes to your privacy policy or your terms of service, tell them. Do a blog post. Um or send an email out to them if the, if you've got that information at your disposal or put up a pop up that every you know when people come to the page for the next month the first time they come back to the page it's going to say hey our policy has changed click here to follow through and and see what what's changed you know that kind of thing the other thing i recommend is that privacy policies be written in plain english don't try to lawyer you know to legalize it um say what you mean say it simply and concisely and if you make changes do a summary document of what the changes are so that people don't have to read through a 10-page thing to get that, oh, you've changed that you're located in Texas instead of California. (laughs) Something simple like that. So let's take another aspect of this. If we link to the footer or link to the privacy policy in the footer Mm -hmm. of our site, uh, someone who has multiple websites, but they're putting them all under a single banner, like for myself, I have the Noodle Mix network and I have several podcasts within that network and each Mm -hmm. podcast has its own site. If I wanted to make it easy for me to maintain my privacy policy, could I have just a single page on my Noodle Mix network homepage and then link to that from all of the separate sites? Or does the privacy policy have to be on each of those sites or those domains? Um, well, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that there is an answer to that. I think that if you have a privacy policy that resides, you know, at a central hub and, and then, you know, all of the spokes of the different sites point into that, I think that's probably okay. What I probably would do is use a, a plugin like pretty link or something like that to create a link that looks like it resides on that same domain. Um, so, you know, the, the audacity to podcast.com slash privacy could link to noodlemx.com slash privacy, but it would be connected to the actual domain that it lives on as well. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just sort of a simple way of, of, uh, doing it once and having it, um, link out to all the others or linked in from all the others. Um, but again, you know, this is it is just a document, a text document. So putting up a page probably doesn't put a cramp on resources too much either. Right. I'm just thinking, like, if we have several sites and the privacy policy doesn't vary between them, then right. if we want to update something, that's several places we have to update it. Yeah, and and then what you might want to do is is say in the preamble of this privacy policy, this privacy policy applies to all pol- all sites operated by NoodleMix Network, including and list them. Just so that there's no question that okay, this one is is the one that covers Audacity to podcast or or uh, or uh, whatever you know your other show is. Okay. And the thing about the affiliate uh, links—that's something that's happened to me before. Is I've applied to an affiliate program and they said 
uh, no, you can't get this affiliate program just because I didn't have a privacy policy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, I, I've been holding off on actually publishing my policy until we had our conversation because I wanted to make sure I, yeah. I got everything in it that needed to be there. Well, and that's an interesting point is the other thing you want to say in a privacy policy, especially if you're going to be doing affiliate links, is to say this privacy policy is limited only to the sites hosted on these domains. And if you you know, choose to do business with one of our affiliates, their privacy policy will govern. Uh, that's good to know. Yeah, because they may gather information that's different from the information you would have gathered. And because they you know came through you, you know, it. it depending on how obvious it is that they've switched to a different site, um, you know, it could be confusing to a, a customer. So you want to make sure they understand you're now going to another, if you follow these links, you're going to another website and they have their own privacy policy that you should check out. Okay. Let's move on to another topic of releases and mm-hmm. kind of disclaimers, but more focusing on releases at the moment. Andrew McGivern sent a voicemail in that asks this question really well, and he illustrates what I think many podcasters, almost any situation that a podcaster might face from his voicemail. Hi, Daniel. It's Andrew McGivern. Just listened to your first episode in your series on uh, podcasting and the law with Gordon Firemark, and it got me thinking about one of the podcasts I'm involved with, The Bunker Project where we have a physical meetup. People can sign up to the meetup group uh, webpage and uh, just RSVP and and show up. It's in a bar, so we sit back, have a few beers, and talk technology, new media, podcasting, social media, and uh, whatever our uh, guests also want to bring to the table. Uh, We occasionally get a random customer from the bar, and and that can be very interesting when they come into the show. Uh, We don't get guests sign any kind of waiver or legal document about being on a podcast. Um, Most of the people we know fairly well. But we do have um, anybody uh, in the public who signs up can come in and and join us for the first time. And although it is obvious that uh, we are recording a podcast, we've got a mixer with eight microphones, wires are everywhere, computers for the mix minus and sound effects and voicemail feedback and headphones for everybody. We uh, do clearly state, though, that everybody is participating or, or or not, or just listening to a live uh, live to hard drive recording of a podcast that is going to be on iTunes and on the internet and so on and so forth. Other people from all over have, have come on via Google Plus Hangout, but the thing is it's a public Hangout. So sometimes we get random people that just uh, pop into the Hangout. We do notify them that they are participating in a live to hard drive recording. We are recording a podcast that's probably not going to be edited and we're putting it up on the internet. Uh, Some people like to just sit back and listen to what's going on and some people start to uh, get involved and participate in the show and some come back regularly. So it is a very cool thing, but some potential problems because we aren't getting anybody to sign waivers, uh, whether in the uh, room with us or over Google Plus Hangout. Should we be worried about it? I don't know. And that's a question for your guest, Gordon Firemark. Thanks for doing everything that you do with the Audacity to Podcast. For all us podcasters out there, and I'll be listening to your future episodes, and uh, I'll keep in touch. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you for the voicemail, Andrew. And so, Gordon, how about this? Whether it's just regular guests and co-hosts or these random guests who might be live call-ins or voicemails or emails or anything like that, what kind of releases do we need to get from them, if anything? Okay, well, let me start off by saying that when you know when you get a lawyer involved in advising on these kinds of things, the lawyer's job is to protect you against all threats, large or small. 
<laughs> so we're going to be very conservative in our, in our approach. And I will tell you what I recommend. I'll also tell you what I do when I do my podcast and I'll, I'll sort of make some suggestions and, and point out some of the, the tender issues. Okay. What I recommend is always get something in writing from anybody who, who appears on or in your show. Um, if you are sitting around a table with five or six people or whatever and, and recording their voices, it, it shouldn't be a big problem to have them sign a, a little document, you know, half a page of text that says, I understand that I'm being recorded and that you, the owner of the podcast, have the right to use it in, in, in any media, you know, for now and forever, uh, without any further, in, you know, input from me on this, basically. And that, you know, you, you can find these release forms out there and, and I actually have one, uh, uh, I don't know if it's published in my book, but there's a forthcoming uh, form book as well. So um, anyway, so that's the the best advice. Get it in writing. I advise radio stations to do the same thing. I advise um, uh, television folks always get a release of every anybody who appears on microphone or on camera. Um, the random guests can be a real challenge. So one of the things that I recommend is maybe have a little sign made where anybody who, you know, who is going to be speaking into a microphone or, or appearing on camera will at least see the sign that says, Hey, stop, you're being recorded. Anything you say can and will be used forever and ever, whether you like it or not, <laughs> you know, something like that. And there is like specific language that we use for you know, film sets when they're shooting in a public place, for example. Um, you can do a sign and, you know, just take some pictures to make sure that you've got evidence that the sign was there and people, you know, again, that, that's, this is best case scenario stuff. The next best thing is, is what, what, Andrew is saying he does is he reminds people periodically during the show, Hey, we're recording this live and it's going straight to hard disk and we're probably not going to edit it. And it's going to go out there as a podcast and so on. One of the things to be careful about is when you say as a podcast and then all of a sudden now the podcast gets picked up, picked up and it's being broadcast on satellite radio, you know, XM or, or, uh, or you're, you're turning it out into a commercial product of some sort now, because you said it was a podcast, you've got to go back and ask for permission from all those people again. And it becomes more of an issue when it's a commercial product because now you're making some money from it. So what I recommend is use more general language. Uh, you know, in my own podcast, I don't get a written document from my co-host every time we record. What I do is I start the recording and I say, okay, I've started the recording. You understand you're being recorded and I can use what you say for any purpose I like forever and ever. Any problem with that? They say no, and off we go. Um, that way I've at least got some manifestation of their intent to participate and that they understand that, you know, no claims ever again later on. It's not as solid as a writing, but it's I'm careful to keep archives of those recordings. Um, and and I, I do edit them out of the actual final show, but I always keep a raw recording just as a as a evidence kind of a thing. So that's my 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 practice on this. And, um, as far as the Google Hangouts folks and that kind of thing, I guess you could put up a, you know, periodically just, you know, put into the, the chat. Hey, anybody who, who, you know, joins in this chat is, uh, or joins in this hangout understands that they're being recorded and we're going to use this in, in various ways. I think that's a perfectly fine, uh, approach to that. Okay. So some of that time, just the, the straight notice is sufficient, not, explicitly getting their permission but just notif notifying them that if it would if be they used. have a chance to say oh i don't you know to to respond with an i don't like that i'm going the other direction okay. i'm not going to speak 
that kind of a thing. If they don't have a chance to, you know, if they have to talk because it's part, you know, you're, you're doing a, um, I don't know, recording someone's live coaching session and they're paying for the opportunity to be coached, you know, they're not going to say, well, I'm not going to consent to be recorded. Um, because then they're by, by not speaking, they're, they're going to have an issue with that. So it, it, it comes down to whether or not the consent is fully voluntary, I guess you could say, and, and, um, and given willfully. Another thing I want to reference here is that when you have live call-ins and voicemails of recorded voicemails and emails and things like that, it's a great idea if you have a, a let's say, let's start with the email. You've got a form on your website and people can email in. Um, great idea to have on that form a little little notice, a release saying what you send may be read on the air and used as part of our show. You know. Mm-hmm. Likewise, when you do a, uh, when you have an outgoing message on the voicemail saying, hey, you know, you're being recorded and we will, we will likely play it on the air. We're going to use it as part of our show, et cetera. You know, same as the other release. Just again, they don't have to leave the message if they don't like those terms. Okay. Uh, live call-ins, it's a little bit of a, a different challenge, but again, you can say something at the top of the show and then when they call in, okay, you're live and we're recording. So let's hear what you have to say. You know? Okay. Okay. Now, uh, moving on to disclaimers, uh, another kind of legal thing that we need to be considerate of, Keeper Dan sent in this email asking, how should a podcaster know what information to include in a disclaimer at the end of their show? For example, my show is about a game based on a specific property. I can, mis- I can mention what company that owns slash publishes the game, who owns the intellectual property the game is based on, but how do we know when to stop or if something else should be included? Here's the clues. He includes then the closing for his show. He says, for a more specific example, the call of Clithu, <laughs> I can't pronounce that, role playing game is property of Chaosium Incorporated. The works of HP Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. And he says, I have no idea if this is adequate or not. Thank you for your advice. Keeper Dan from the Miskatonic University podcast at mu-podcast.com. Okay, well, that's an interesting one. I think that's actually a pretty good, um, I would call it a disclosure rather than a disclaimer. I mean, some of it is disclaiming ownership of things, but it's also disclosure of who, you know, of what you're doing and and so on. because that's affiliated with the university, I would advise uh, that Keeper Dan talk to the university about the university's, you know, legal and and so on staff about um, about do they have anything else that they feel he should say. One of those things that I didn't hear in there is the opinions expressed here are are you know solely those of the people expressing them and not of the university or of the business that's behind this podcast or whatever. Um, so that it's pretty clear that um, they're not endorsing a particular point of view or opinion uh, necessarily. Uh, other other disclaimers. Um, I think that I think that was pretty good. You want to disclose, um, you know, who's behind this and who owns what, and it's going to depend on the particular content of the particular show. Um, you know, my podcast I don't do a disclaimer. Um, the three, the two or three lawyers that are on the show each week uh, or each month, excuse me, we, you know, our opinions are our opinions and we're lawyers. So we're pretty careful when we express our opinions about, about, uh, couching it in the right terms. But, 
I guess if I was having lay people on, I might say their opinions are strictly their own and don't reflect the attitudes of Entertainment Law Update, for example. Other kinds of disclaimers to think about are if you do affiliate links, you, there's a legal requirement that you disclose the fact. Again, it's a disclosure rather than a disclaimer. But you're saying, uh, you know, if you click on this link and you go buy this, I'm going to get paid something. Or if you're endorsing a product, you also need to say, you know, this is a paid endorsement or, or, uh, or whatever. Uh, or, you know, and you can use word sponsored by also. Um, what other kinds of disclaimers would there be or disclosures would there be? Um, right, relating to ownership of, of the content embodied within the show. If, you know, again, if you're using someone's public, dom- uh, not, not public domain, uh, creative commons material. Like, for example, your show opening music is a Creative Commons thing. You probably have an attribution disclosure to make. So you might say, you know, our opening music is by so-and-so. And and it's licensed under the Creative Commons. Um, So, you know, it's just going to depend on the particulars of what you're doing. And so you need to think about this at sort of every step step of the way as as you're assembling the content of your show. Okay. There's a site out there that I want to get your feedback on this. It's called comply cmp dot ly and it they say that it's social media compliance made easy and they have a bunch of different options for ways that we can um, notify or comply with certain legal disclaimers or disclosures of mm-hmm. profit mm-hmm. and such is something like that actually a good idea to use again it's it does use simple language but uh, uh is that trustworthy a service like that well I think it's a great starting point. I, you know, I, I would say, again, it's that plain vanilla thing. They're going to have the answer for 99% of the situations that come, or 95% of the situations that come up. And, um, and it's going to be very helpful to, to have some of this stuff taken care of. Anytime you automate something, though, you, you, you remember it's creating stuff for the lowest common denominator. And anytime you have, um, a variation from the normal way things are done, you have an opportunity for something to not be quite right when you use a boilerplate document. So that's, that's the reason that people use lawyers is they want to custom tailor something. Uh, I would say it's a great starting point. I'm looking at it now and I, I hadn't really heard of it before now. Um, but, um, you know, take a look and see if it's a good fit and, and certainly let them, let them, let them be the first pass at things. Uh, let me see some of their disclosure solutions. Uh, oh, they've got little little logos for for uh, a review or a, a paid promotion or business connection or you know financial things or if it relates to yeah they've got a bunch of these things so um, that's pretty interesting and then I, I'm just yeah and so you you can click on these little icons and it takes you to a little more text like for the paid one I'm just looking at it's pretty interesting yeah compl- that's a nice website. Um, yeah, I'd say use that as a starting point for sure. Okay. Are there any other disclosures, disclaimers, notices, or anything like that that podcasters and bloggers should be concerned with? Well, not so much in, in terms of disclosures and disclaimers. Per, I mean, again, it's it's going to be different for everybody because of what they're doing. If you're doing a, a fan podcast about a TV show, your, your disclosures are going to be very different than if you're doing a... Um, a podcast about how to uh, make dugout canoes 
in which case you're going to want to say, well, when, you know, whenever you're using power tools, you want to wear eye protection. You know, that's to protect yourself against somebody suing, saying, hey, I was watching this video podcast thing and they, they were showing me how to do it and they weren't wearing eye protection. And sure enough, I went out and was carving my dugout canoe and now I'm blind, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I'm suing them. Um, so that's what dis- disclaimers are about is, you know, you're, you're on your own, do this, be sure you observe safety precautions. But when it's that fan podcast, you're saying, these are our opinions about this show and it's, you know, we're, we're being public about it. That's, so it's going to be very different for everything. And I, I, there's just no way to cover everything in, in a general sense like this. Okay. Should we as podcasters be concerned about defamation in, especially if we're doing some kind of parody work or comedy or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Defamation is, um, uh, People talk about the two flavors of defamation, libel and slander. Libel is the recorded or printed or, or, you know, sort of permanent embodiment of a false statement about a person. And slander is the spoken word version of that. So when, when you're recording a podcast or broadcasting something, that's going to be libel. As a practical matter, the elements of these two torts are pretty much the same. A false statement made about a person that injures their reputation and that isn't protected speech in the sense that it's not opinion. It's a, it's a false factual kind of statement. So the, the solution is don't tell lies about people. Um, and if you're expressing your opinion, make sure it's really your opinion and not, I heard through this, that, and the other thing that so-and-so is a child molester. You're going to have a problem with that <laughs> if so-and-so doesn't, doesn't like that. Um, so yes, you need to be concerned when you're speaking about other people. Um, you also need to be concerned about their rights of privacy and, and rights of publicity sometimes. That is, uh, you don't want to disclose private facts about a person um, if they aren't public. Like, for example, a person's uh, sexual orientation or health care, health status. You know, somebody's got a, a particular illness or something like that can be not only defamatory if it's false, it can be an invasion of their privacy if it's true. Um, and and capt and that that's why we use privacy policies and and releases. Also, we want to make sure that people don't have an expectation of privacy when you're recording their voice or filming them or photographing them, because again, you don't want to be accused of invading their privacy. So, um, so yeah, you definitely need to think about these things. And I cover this in my book, the podcast blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. So. Um, if you're concerned about these things, if you talk about other people, if you express opinion, um, you're going to want to read up on this subject. When it comes to comedy and parody, and I'm gonna, I'm, there is a distinction there. Comedy is you saying something funny about something. Parody is where you're actually making fun of the thing that you're parodying. So um, one of the classic cases is Two Live Crew years ago did a, a, a version of the song Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. And there was a big lawsuit over this. And the conclusion was, even though it copied the music, it wasn't um, an infringement of copyright because the whole purpose of this parody song was to make fun of the original song as being sort of silly and plain vanilla. Um, other forms of parody might be, um, well, you, you look at uh, TV shows like The Simpsons and The Family Guy, they often do little parodies of, of particular topics. And as long as it's very clear that it's poking fun at that thing, making fun of it, um, then, then it's going to be safe from um, copyright liability and probably safe from defamation. So again, it, it comes down to the clarity of that, of that, uh, of the purpose behind the thing. If you say so-and-so is a child molester, um, and that, and there's no context that suggests that you're, you're making fun of something, maybe the definition of child molester, you know, who knows what, um, 
then then you're going to have a problem with defamation. But if it's very clear that it's a joke or it's funny uh, and and poking fun, then you're in better better shape. The First Amendment, the free speech here in the U.S., uh, is all about you know the protection of these kinds of things. Parody is a is a form of protected speech that we want to encourage because it's a great way to get people talking about social issues and important topics. Okay. Gordon Firemark, thank you very much for sharing this information. And it's been a lot of information here in this episode about disclaimers and disclosures and releases and privacy policies. Where can people find you on the internet? My website is firemark.com. And that privacy uh, article is privacy policy, firemark.com slash privacy policy. You can find me on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter. My handle is gfiremark. Pretty easy to find me there. And firemark is F-I-R-E-M-A-R-K. Uh, the book that I mentioned is uh, the podcast, blog, and new media producer's legal survival guide, and it can be found at podcastlawbook.com. Great. And are you for hire if anyone wants to uh, actually pay you to do some of these things for them? I would be a fool to say no. Yes, of course I'm for hire. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing this great information with us, and I encourage everyone to check out your site and get the show notes uh, for the stuff that you mentioned over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 79. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate Gordon's being involved in this and helping me out with this content because it's some great information there to consider almost no matter what kind of blog or podcast that you're hosting. So be sure to check out his book and my affiliate link for that book is over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash podcast law book. And Gordon covered a lot of information in this, and I'll have the show notes also over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 79, so you can check that out there, and also the link to his book and more from there. So some great information, and if you have questions on this, feel free to leave a comment in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 79, and if it's something that we want to address on the show, Gordon has said that he's entirely available to just record a quick answer to some questions or write something in that I can read on a future episode. Or even just he might come back and we could have some kind of open Q&A session with him after we've laid this groundwork of copyrights and trademarks and privacy policies, disclosures and releases, and more that we're going to cover in our next episode. So go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 79 and get the show notes and you can ask questions and comment there. Blog World New York City is coming up. I'm on the Podcasting 101 track on that, speaking in it, and I would love to meet up with you, even if you can't make it to the Podcasting 101 track. There are so many awesome other podcasters there. I'm really looking forward to it, and I would love to see you there, too. If you need to purchase a ticket, which, by the way, hurry because the discount, last discounts are about to end, go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash blog world that's b-l-o-g-w-o-r-l-d and you can purchase a ticket there through my affiliate link and use the promo code gspn10 that's gspn10 will give you 10 percent off also coming up is i'm going to try something on the audacity to podcast.com next month which will be a photo series of podcasting equipment software tools I'm going to try and turn it into a daily blog series. So have a blog post every day with the picture and some brief comment on something in my podcasting workflow. So 
you'll want to see this. And you can go to theaudacitypodcast.com to check that out and make sure that you're subscribed to the site via RSS there. And also, I'll be emailing this information to the subscribers so you can subscribe to the email list at theaudacitypodcast.com. So you can check that out. And I do this show live every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That's GMT minus four over at noodle.mx slash live. And that page does work on your mobile device. So check out the show notes for this episode over at theaudacitytopodcast.com. Check out Gordon Firemark's site at firemark.com. And you can follow him on Twitter too at gfiremark. Please follow me on Twitter as well over at twitter.com slash the ramen noodle. And check out all the stuff that we're doing over at noodle.mx with the podcasts and more stuff to come. If you're not subscribed to iTunes or whatever player of your choice, please subscribe and leave a rating and review there. And I'd really appreciate it. So check out everything over at theaudacitypodcast.com. Send feedback to feedback at theaudacitypodcast.com or call 903-231-2221 and leave a voicemail there. Or you can go to theaudacitypodcast.com and click on the send a voice message tab. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and for Gordon Firemark, thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our podcasts like this one at noodle.mx. And the Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find a whole lot of tech podcasts over at techpodcast.com. They've got so many things there like Minecraft and video editing and technology shows. It's all around technology. So check it out at techpodcast.com.